Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. The Oxford Handbook of Clinical Medicine was a godsend to junior doctors and experienced physicians alike. First published in 1985, it came in a pocket size, small enough to fit into the white coat of every doctor, crammed in next to the various other essentials we had to carry around in the past. It made the cut to be carried because it was such a great companion, covering a wide range of topics in succinct style and full of practical advice, as evidenced by the wise words in one section, when asked to come and pass a nasogastric tube, something that nurses did far more frequently and were the real experts, but then ask you, the physician, who may never have passed one before, to do so only when they encountered difficulties. The instructions went like this. Proceed as follows. Step one, darn a plastic apron. Step two, Observe the nurse having one more attempt. This will give you a rough idea of how it's done and may even succeed. Back then even, like so many innovations you find in the techno-panic timeline, it received mixed responses, including being banned by some medical schools for making medicine too easy. What we see with ChatGPT is an updated version of this reaction to information and technology. For some, those ready to jump on board, a great gizmo that is ready to provide some useful information and serve as a tool and supporting player to the individual and our quest for knowledge, and in this case, the delivery of excellent healthcare. To others, something to be feared and banned or even controlled. Let's be clear, ChatGPT is not replacing humans anytime soon, at least not in the opinion of this host but it is offering some major opportunities and leaps to our world and for sure in some as yet undefined or even untried ways. We should step off, as Bill the Bard said, once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. Then imitate the action of the tiger, stiffen the sinews, summon the blood, disguise fair nature with hard-favoured rage. So join me this week on the Healthcare Upside Down show in the last of our series focused on ChatGPT and how you can apply it to your world and healthcare as I talk with Dr. Harvey Castro, an emergency room physician and author of ChatGPT in healthcare. Harvey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So you're an author of uh, ChatGPT in healthcare. And we've pretty much hit the wave of interest 
Uh, I know books don't just appear on the horizon like instantaneously, unless you use ChatGPT to actually <laughs> author this, and I'm pretty sure that's not true. But um, how did you get into this book and this particular topic? Your timing seems perfect. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I have to give a quick background story. It actually came, believe it or not, from the emergency room. Uh, and this actually came about when the first iPhone came out. When the first iPhone came out, I did an app called IV Meds based on my experience working with seeing a patient. Basically, unfortunately, I had a patient that was coding. I had a nurse uh, give a drip and the nurse told me, give me a minute to find the textbook, get the textbook out, scroll through the table of contents, find the drip, and then finally find the dose to actually administer the medicine. And I about died. And so um, I had literally just graduated from residency-ish and then the iPhone had just came out. And so I decided, you know what, let me just create my own iPhone app. And I'm going to call it IV Meds, and I'm going to make this a couple of touch screens uh, approach and make it quick, where within 10 seconds, the person could get the dose. And believe it or not, I, I taught myself how to do the AI, I mean, sorry, AI, how, how to write the program, and literally created the app, and it was in the top 10 apps in the world for, uh, for that type of medication. And so fast forward... Um, I saw ChatGPT and I about died. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had the same feeling that I had when I wrote IV Meds. And since then I had wrote another 30 medical apps. And I thought, you know what? This is the time to start writing a book on telling doctors and patients how to use this. And I was so excited that my wife wanted to kill me during the Christmas holidays because I, every second she was busy, I would be like, hey, I'll be in the office. And weekends, every chance that she had anything that I knew I could say, okay, well, you're, you're busy doing that. I'm going to run over and start writing. And, and I was. And so I thought, well, let me be efficient with my time. And so I literally went into ChatGPT and I said, look, I'm writing a book on ChatGPT and healthcare. Give me an outline because I, I don't know where to start. And so it gave me an outline. I said, okay, let's go to town. And to be honest, I'm not excited about the first book because when I wrote it, it was, my goal was just to be first on the market. And on January 5th, I, actually I was done by late December, but by January 5th, it finally went through and got accepted and it's uh, it's been doing well, but I wasn't happy with it because it wasn't a true reflection of what I wanted. And so as soon as I finished writing the first one, I literally started writing the second one. And that one was more patient focused, more examples of what people want. Um, from 10,000 feet high, I feel like the first book is great because if you've never heard of AI and healthcare, if you never thought of this combination, I think it's a good book. But I think what people are really looking for is what's in the second book, which is just kind of showing you how it works, why it works, going over the ethics, going over all the different nuances about it. And I wanted to make it patient focused. And so <laughs> that was a long answer to, to your question, but I, I think I wanted to make sure I went through it well. Yeah, no. So I, and I think it brings up a couple of things that I want to explore a little bit because, you know, there's lots of buzz, lots of interest, but also lots of concern. And, you know, one of the things that you highlight was you, you used the tool, it came back with something, but that wasn't the finished product. It was really just a sort of starting point and got you off the, the, the blocks. And from my sense, it sounds a little bit like a, a tool that gets you out of that initial writer's block that everybody talks about. You know, the first sentence, the first paragraph, but you got that covered. How did you approach that? And, and what were the, the high and the low points of it? Did it give you 
enough to get going or was there really a lot more work? Oh gosh, there was a lot more work than I intended. Um, and and I, I, you're, you hit it right on. I feel like this is a great assistant. I use it for brainstorming sessions. Uh, instead of calling my mentor at time, I literally go into ChatGPT and I have brainstorming sessions and I look to see what the output is. And and then based on the output, I, I refine it. Uh, and then that takes me into creating good prompts for ChatGPT. Uh, but then looking on the downside, you know, at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. And then the more and more I started using it, I started realizing certain aspects. It, it, it was making up answers where I was like, this is off or this doesn't quite sound correct. And then I thought, well, I feel highly educated. I have an MD and MBA. I have tons of experience in business. And then I thought, huh, there's going to be people here that are asking a question because they don't know. And that's why they're asking, but then they don't have the, the background to know that it's incorrect. And then I started thinking, well, this is a flag. I need to make sure people understand this because I felt like Dr. Google all over again. People are going to ask uh, ChatGPT the same questions of healthcare and doctors are going to tell them, do not use this tool. But at the end of the day, they're still going to do it. So I thought, why not be in the front side of this technology? Why not advocate for this and then explain the pros, the cons against this and just teach people? And, and that's what I've been doing on LinkedIn, social media, the second book and it's kind of where I'm focused as just as a physician point of view. So again, great um, points around the sort of accuracy of this. And the challenge is something that really a lot of physicians are concerned about because if you use the tool and, you know, we're all highly specialized at this point, we have to be, there's, you know, the breadth of knowledge, the, the just incredible increasing amounts that are overwhelming us, even at the point that we graduate. Um, so we use the tool, but how can we be uh, sure, if there's any surety, that what we're getting back is accurate? So I've had similar experiences, and some of them I go, wow, that's great, but I'm not always, I don't always feel equipped to answer it. So if we're gonna incorporate it into healthcare, how do we do so, but do so safely? Yeah. I created an algorithm for that same question, actually. And my angle is as follows. And I'll use it in terms of medicine. We're both ER board certified physicians. We know emergency medicine. I could uh, throw anything at you. And if it's bogus, you can call me out, it, out on it pretty quickly. But what we're not is, I'll use the example of a friend of mine. He's a pediatric cardiologist that shared a story with me that said that he's one, he found one of 20 cases in the world of this one disease. And for kicks, he put all the symptoms that he found into ChatGPT and actually got it as a differential diagnosis, which is huge. But had I done the same thing, I, I wouldn't know because I'm not a pediatric cardiologist. And so my point is, um, if you're a specialist in that space, you can ask it all you want and you'll feel comfortable uh, answering if that's correct or knowing if it isn't. If it's totally outside your league, then I would suggest ask an expert in that field. And I know that defeats the purpose, but you need to verify these things. Second, um, and this kind of brings me into, I'm not promoting any particular brand, but this is where I've been using uh, Bing Copilot. I'm one of the first uh, million people to be able to use this. And it actually gives you the 
a combination of ChatGPT and a search engine combined. And now it's giving me references and then I can cross reference those references and see if it's a blog that it's giving me or if it's actual literature. And I feel like that is going to be the future of healthcare. And taking it to the next point that you asked, how are healthcare professionals going to use this type of tool? I don't think it's chat GPT. I'm going to call that like Kleenex. You know, everybody knows what Kleenex is, Xerox is, Kodak, but chat GPT is going to become a brand and everybody in the future is going to call everything chat GPT, in my opinion. So it may be another, it may be uh, Google's product. It may be your product, my product, who knows, but people will still say, oh, that's chat GPT. And so my point is, in the future, there's something called BioGPT, very specific. So think of a database, instead of being so broad and having all the topics that ChatGPT can talk about, it's only given healthcare. And so in theory, it should be able to answer healthcare questions because the database is strictly PubMed, all the references that we use. And so the it should have a higher yield for physicians and patients. So I think that will be the future in healthcare. So let me challenge you a little bit on that. So I, I, I agree in principle. I mean, I think that's, you know, narrow the, the large language model, the content so that it's specific. Mm -hmm. But one of the challenges with published papers is there is an awful lot of junk. I mean, let's be clear. We've seen it with, you know, the predatory practices of publishing. And I, I you know, I, I've got to be honest, my statistical chops are very poor. I rely on experts, as you described, to help me tease out those papers that they go, that's a load of coswallop. But how <laughs> do you do that so that you get the appropriate content? You know, who's going to put the guardrails in and does that then make it less accessible to the wider population? Because that's ultimately what I think we want, which is the broadest availability of this tool. Yeah, you bring up multiple excellent points. Number one, I mean, access to this information. I mean, if you think about it, third world countries, some parts of the world do not have internet. So in theory, you can make an argument that you're self-selecting a certain population. Mm -hmm. And speaking of self-selecting population, if you really think about it, who is represented in all these studies? And so it's basically those uh, people that have the money and the foundation to pay for these studies. And so in reality, there's bias into ChatGPT, unfortunately. And then to take it to the next level. So if ChatGPT says uh, do X, but it hasn't been studied, it's really only been studied for a different population, then that population in theory gets hurt. And so there's multiple uh, ethical issues here at, involved. Now, how to put those guardrails, how to move forward. Here's the beauty. This is large language models. I think it's going to be a combination of the following. Instead of using such a big, I call it the machine gun, something very narrow focus. Um, so you'll be using mainly just this one database. And then how to refine that one tune, uh, and fine tune it and kick out all the junk. I really think it's going to be all of us, all, all of us humans, because <laughs> I'd like to say that word because people are worried that this is all artificial. No, it's all of us humans. We're going to be working. And let me take, let me explain what I mean by that. I think, let's say we're doing emergency medicine, we have, say, equivalent of BioGPT or some database that's very specific, but then we add another database of humans that are, are saying, yes, I agree, don't agree, and then that becomes the second filter to the main filter, and then by the time the user uses it, then it's had multiple doctors reviewing it, and that person, in theory, can look at it and say, yeah, this, this has 100 yeses from a doctor's and 10 no's. And then, the, then patients can start looking at it and saying, okay, this, this is more valid. 
Um, and I think it's going to take that kind of thinking, that kind of approach to make it an even better tool. So, you know, to extend that a little bit, you, you talk about bio GPT. I think that's a good concept. To me, I, I would add to that, it, it's sort of bio GPT, but almost wiki GPT in the way mm -hmm. that you describe, yes. which is physicians involved, participating, contributing, a curation of that knowledge that sort of validates it. The problem with that has been with Wiki, you know, if you participate, and we, I, I think we all use it. I mean, I, I can't imagine people that don't, except for the those that don't have access. And to be clear, huge yeah. issue, but not, not one we're going to address here uh, specifically. But um, they're always pleading for funding because they've maintained their independence. And when you look at the stats, the number of people that actually contribute is really, really small. It's sort of quite narrow, getting folks to contribute. And physicians already overwhelmed, don't get paid for things. You know, we had all the issues with messaging. Messaging became a thing during the pandemic. And then suddenly, um, you know, people want to charge for it. I think appropriately so, that's time given. But, you know, we're struggling with this balance. How do you think, are we going to pay people to do that? That's a good point. I think as everything, it'll start like a movement. I think there'll be enough physicians out there that are going to look at this saying, okay, which evil do I want? <laughs> I'm not going to call it Google e Dr. Google evil, but do I want an equivalent out there that patients will do what they want? Or do I want to dictate healthcare to the point where I can help patients, where I can give them good data, good solid data? And I think there will be leaders out there like yourself, myself, that will want to contribute. With that said, will there need to be some kind of payment model? I honestly think that may be a, a good example of how this could be used. I could see a world, for example, when Wiki came out, uh, somebody had a great idea to use that in the emergency room world. And I thought, man, this would be great. What if we uh, I actually went to all the residencies and said, hey, we need to adopt this and create our own uh, within ASAP. I said, we should create our own Wikipedia e ER uh, database. And they were like, this is a great idea. The problem is all the ERs are going to fight because now they're going to say, well, no, that's my data. That's your data. And I thought, man, this is so hard because the greater good in all this is for us to increase the level of healthcare, increase the level of medicine. And so I thought, well, maybe if there was a reward system in place where whoever contributed more would get more points and then they would be able to uh, get more financial back from the database. I think some kind of model like that, I see that emerging in the future um, just because of that reason. Yeah, I, and and again, let me extend that a little bit further because I like the principle. I think you're right. I'm, you know, we're we're, we're natively competitive, so uh, you know, there's some of that, and obviously some desire, but ultimately driven by the same basis of why we got into medicine, the helping, and, and you know, contextually, Nintendo and uh, you know their gaming have managed to last generations with some very basic Mario Kart is extraordinarily successful because people win and you know it, it happens to have arisen because you know now there's a ride and I, I and I wonder if that same principle could be applied to this where we Mario Kart through and gain coins as part of this do you think there's some scope to be able to sort of drive that through into that bio GPT potentially I think so. I really do believe that that's going to be the case. I see I see medicine going that way. And 
I'm so worried for our healthcare system. I mean, you see that left and right, physicians burning out, great leaders wanting to leave medicine. And I think we need these kind of tools. Maybe this is a second home for all the ones that are ready to retire. Maybe this is where they can put their energy in and create another product for all of us to enjoy as far as healthcare. I, I think that's a great point and you know, great opportunity. So I, we, we touched on it. I think it's important to talk about the ethics and you know, the, the validity of this. You've certainly, certainly uh, talked about this. Tell us a little bit about your view of the ethics uh, and the way that we manage that going forward. Ah, that's a tough one. You know, I'm, I'm reaching out to all the uh, millionaires and billionaires that are out there to donate into <clears throat> uh, creating better databases, to creating better uh, solutions for the problems that we have in ethics today. I hope that uh, someone like Elon Musk is hearing so that they can donate to create better studies, create another uh, large language model that can be used in healthcare or Bill Gates, that's real big, because I think that is going to be the future. As far as access, I, 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 tru I truly worry, I, I, and I worry on both sides of the equation, so I'll, I'll explain this one real quick. You know, imagine a world where patients are using ChatGPT, they're getting the wrong diagnosis, and then they go off to a third world country or, or countries that allow you to get medications at the pharmacy. Here in the United States, you can't, but in a lot of places around the world, you can. So they go to the pharmacy, get the medicine, and God forbid they die or get an adverse reaction. Or, or what if they don't even have the disease and now they're emotionally traumatized they, because ChatGPT told them otherwise? And so those are other ethical concerns that honestly worry me. I, I want to make sure that we we talk to the public, explain these things as physicians, and, and make solutions for our patients. I, I think great point. So let's finish on the opportunities. Describe for me, if you would, where you see this and the quick wins in the current form. And I, I, accepting there are some you know failures and and uh, important guardrails that we need to put in place, but. There's tremendous opportunity. I mean, you and I are both excited about it. Let's be clear. Yeah. Uh, just in summary, I see it in, I, I divide it in two phases, pre-patient, patient, and post-patient. So pre-patient would be your education, doctors and physician assistants, and everyone in healthcare can do uh, flashcards, can do book summaries on information that they find complex. They can put it into ChatGPT. Seeing the patient, um, I'll admit as an ER doctor, it's been two, three in the morning where I'm exhausted. Um, sometimes it'd be nice to be able to uh, go into a database, put in the symptoms and, and be able to get back saying, hey, have you considered the following disease? I think that'd be huge. Post-patient, I think it'd be great for patients to understand their discharge instructions. And as an ER doctor, sometimes I don't speak another language that those discharge instructions should be in. And my EMR doesn't have that language. So how nice would it be able to create something that I can put in the diagnosis and then extract another language and give that to the patient? And so those are just quick little summaries of how I think we can use this technology today. And then one quick, uh, another point is pre-patient or pre, yeah, pre-patient. What if the patient knew that it had diabetes, for example, and could come up with all the questions to ask the doctor and their high yield follow-up questions because they, in fact, they only get 13 minutes with us. So why not make those the best 13 minutes uh, of patient physician experience? Yeah, I'm going to push on that a little bit and say, let, let's let's change that 13 minute uh, activity and allow the physician more time, perhaps with the addition of those tools that can facilitate some of those activities. And you describe a few, 
But, you know, for example, the opportunity to enter that information in an automated way so that it just spits it out. It becomes a, a passive activity that delivers that differential, you know, and I get to refine it. I like the idea of the references and the opportunity to check it. But, you know, let's try and increase the 13 minutes or whatever it happens. It's never enough, let's be clear. Um, Harvey, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. By the end of this series, I hope you, like me, have been educated and inspired to open the door to the potential use cases for this technology, not just in healthcare, but in your own personal lives. As you heard from Harvey, he's incorporated the concept of ChatGPT, the tool, and capability into almost everything he does. There may be many instances or versions, but ultimately, to use the tool, you need to break it out of the wrapper and start trying this out. It won't be long before it becomes a verve. Have you chat GPT'd that? Or maybe even have you gened that? Your better pill to swallow? As King Henry V said, step into the breach. This train has left the station. You are either on board or watching it leave. Like many other technologies that have been two years away for the last 10 years, AI has moved on and it's now knocking on your door asking the question, how can I be helpful in your world, your job, your problems and challenges? Let me help. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone. Thank you.